0: The following resource is from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources.
1: William Tyndale was a Bible translator, that means he was a scholar. Um, you may think that the life of a scholar couldn't be that exciting. But uh, William Tyndale probably had the most exciting life a scholar could ever have. He was constantly on the lamb, constantly being pursued from one place to the next. Uh, his work was harrowed by uh, the authorities in England. Uh, they were looking for him on the continent. And through it all, he was able to translate uh, the entire New Testament and many books of the Old Testament and begin the work that we have now, the English Bible. Uh, which we take for granted. And I think Scott and I, our goal is that as a result of our study on Tyndale tonight, you will not take your English Bible for granted any longer. Uh, even better, that you'll read it. <laughs> even better than that, that you'll obey what it says and believe its promises. That's our desire. And that would have been Tyndale's as well. When Tyndale began his work, uh, there was no English Bible. There was no Bible for the, in the vernacular, the English language. There were, everybody uh, had to get it mediated through, uh, the, priests who were teaching in Latin, Uh, the common people really had very little access to the Bible. Now we're going to look at a little clip from a movie called God's Outlaw. It's put out by the same people who do Christian History Magazine, Gateway videos. I hope it'll come across. In this, he's sitting at table uh, with some Roman Catholic scholars and uh, authority figures, etc., and they're having a little table debate. Uh, It's not too pleasant, kind of ruin your digestion while you're sitting there, but you see his convictions uh, that people would have, that the common people would have uh, Bibles uh, in their own language. If you look on the cover of the handout, um, there's probably the most famous quote um, of Tyndale's life. Uh, He's in this debate, and that's the very thing we're going to look at tonight. And he says to this uh, Catholic clergyman who's debating with him, he said, if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou dost. In other words, my goal is that everyone, ordinary people will know the Bible and that in knowing that they'll find salvation through faith in Christ. So watch this clip and then we'll go on from there.
2: Of the saints, you make images of them, you light candles. These images can see and hear. Perhaps they hunger also. Uh, if they hunger, why do you not make their bellies hollow and put food and drink inside Just is ill becoming in one so young. His mind is full of invention and profanity. Would you make a mockery of sacred images? No more would I than did the prophet Isaiah. He wrote of a man who cut down a tree to light a fire. an image when he fell down before it and worshipped it, saying, you are my God, deliver me. Did Isaiah laugh when he wrote that? Did Isaiah write that? You tutor in the classics at Cambridge University. If you, learned as we suppose you are, schooled in Greek and Latin and divinity, practiced in the arts of debate and contention, if you cannot understand that, or the scriptures you so imprudently expound, how then can the ignorant laity, the blacksmith, the weaver, the ploughboy, those who count upon their fingers and look to us to guide them? One moment, Doctor. As our Lord said, Ah, spare us! I acknowledge your learning. Must you parade it before us? Well, perhaps translation might cause effect. <laughs> your very know presence of this table causes offense, which we endure for the sake of our host and our gracious hostess. If our Lord spoke, would it not be better to hear it in English? Would that all England could hear it in English. Damn your impertinence. What did he say? He, the spirit of truth, is come. He will guide you into all truth. That, young Tindale, is what the spirit does. Through the church. But the church has so many persuasions. One man follows Don Scotus, another Thomas Aquinas, another Bonadventure. If all these learned men are in contradiction, one with each other, how can we know right from wrong, but by God's word? God's word says if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. Give the scriptures to ignorant men, and they'll soon be tearing out their own eyes. Hither and yon will be a nation of blind men. Without God's word, we are a nation of blind men. But without the help of doctors, God's word is too hard to understand. And that is to measure the yardstick by the cloth. There are as many doctors as there are pieces of cloth, but only one yardstick of scripture. By what should we measure that? By the Pope. The Pope whom God has set on earth in direct succession from the Apostle Peter. The Pope through whom God administers truth and justice. The Pope! The Pope! What if the pope is at variance with god's laws it were better to do without god's laws than the pope's mm. well young sir what do you say to that i defy the pope and all his laws if god spares my life i will see to it that a ploughboy shall know more of the scriptures than you do mm. Lady Anne, I will not sit at table with blasphemers and heretics. No more shall I. No, please wait. Mm. I will not spoil the meal. I shall go to my room. You will stay where you are. I will conduct you to my door. Your hospitality is renowned. Your table unsurpassed, and we thank you for your kindness. Take heed, young man. Well. There are fires on earth and there are fires in hell. Take care that the one is not needful to spare you
1: the other. Kind of an ominous way to end, but that's exactly how Tyndale's life did end. He was burned at the stake, if you could turn the lights back on, um, at the end of his life. Uh, Burned for heresy, and the heresy was the translation of the scriptures into the vernacular the translation of the scripture into the English language. Take your uh, uh, handouts, if you would, and let's look at the introduction. William Tyndale was an English Bible translator. He was a humanist and a Protestant martyr. Prevented by ecclesiastical authority, especially by King Henry VIII, from publishing an English version of the Bible, he fled to Cologne in Germany and began printing the New Testament from there, 1525, completing it in Varms. He also worked on the translation of the Old Testament into English from 1530 until his life was ended at 1536. He was captured and burned at the stake. His translation later became the basis of the King James Version of the Bible. And so those of you that have read the King James, you've read William Tyndale's work. Uh, Not entirely, but probably 85 to 90% of the New Testament is Tyndale's work. And uh, that is the influence that this man had. Let's talk about his significance right from the start. Before uh, Tyndale, there was no translation of the Bible into English that was available in his own day. Now, a century and a half before him, uh, Wycliffe and his Lollards had gone around and they were preaching and they were translating the Bible into English. And so it was available, but it was old and it was illegal. And so therefore, nobody had it. It was very rare, very difficult to get to. Uh, so there was a precedent for it, and Wycliffe was called by some the morning star of the Reformation. He already was teaching some of the same things that Luther would later teach. He desired to preach justification by faith alone. He was evangelical, and he got the translation of the Bible into people's hands. He died before they could kill him, and so they dug up his bones and burned them you know, 60 years after he was dead, if you can believe that. Uh, so opposed to uh, the translation of the Bible was the Roman Catholic Church at the time. 1450, uh, Gutenberg uh, developed the movable-type printing press, and that just uh, laid the groundwork, really, for the Reformation. Uh, It enabled translations like Tyndale's to be mass-produced and disseminated among the people, and certainly enabled Luther's teachings to be disseminated widely. So to some degree, Gutenberg invented the press so that Luther could come along and reform the church, and that's about how it was. Uh, once Luther began teaching and the leaflets and the, and the books began flying, it was, uh, it was the press, the printing press, that took the ideas of the Reformation and spread them all around. Erasmus, just before Luther came along, he was a humanist scholar, and uh, he set the scholarly stage for the Reformation. Some uh, said that uh, Erasmus laid the egg that Luther hatched uh, it's not entirely true to some degree, but here was Erasmus. He was a scholar and a humanist. By humanist, we just mean somebody who was a scholar. He was a post-Renaissance uh, learner of letters, uh, able to translate from Greek and Latin, etc. Erasmus was, as was Tyndale. Uh, so Erasmus was a humanist scholar. Uh, Tyndale translated his uh, Enchiridion, the, the Christian soldier's handbook, into, into English. And so he read Erasmus's writings. Erasmus is an interesting guy. Uh, Luther said he was as slippery as an eel. Only Christ can catch him. So I think that's a very interesting thing. You're not really sure whether Erasmus really was uh, a believer in Christ the way we would understand as an evangelical, whether he really uh, accepted the Reformation teachings. In the end, he opposed Luther and debated him. But what he did do is in his Enchiridion, in his handbook, he said that all Christian life and practice and doctrine should be measured against the New Testament, should be measured against the scripture. He taught that. And uh, Tyndale believed that. Uh, he thought, well, then we need to get the scriptures into the hands of the people so that they're able to do that. Uh, Tyndale came to see that most of the religious problems in dispute of his day were, th- were in dispute because of the ignorance that people had of the scriptures. It was kind of humorous. I don't know if you caught it when he's talking to these two ecclesiastical leaders and he's talking about Isaiah who's spoofing I- idol worship, how a guy takes a log and cuts it in half and half of it he uses to uh, to make a fire over which he, b- he bakes bread and the other half he makes an idol and bows down and worships it and says, save me, you're my God. And then one of them says to the other, did Isaiah say that? Well, yes, he did. Uh, it's right there in Isaiah 43. And so, yeah, he did, but the prelate didn't know it. Didn't know the scripture. And notice how the attitude was that the Pope's word took precedent even over the scripture. And it's interesting how he stood up and said, I'm not going to sit at table with blasphemers when he's the one that spoke the blasphemy. I would rather that we have the Pope's word and the Pope's laws than God's if it came down to that. Now, that's blasphemy to me. And that was blasphemy to Tyndale. And that's why he spoke so strongly in response. But uh, at any rate, Erasmus made the Greek New Testament available. He was able to get manuscripts because the uh, Ottoman Empire had spread out and the Muslims had, had conquered uh, Byzantine and they had released all these Greek manuscripts, uh, they, they, they flowed uh, west for safekeeping and uh, Erasmus uh, arranged them and, and published the Greek Testament and all of a sudden they found that the Latin Bibles that they'd been using were not really accurately translated on some key issues and uh, really out of that learning came the Reformation both for Luther and Zwingli and Zurich and uh, also Tyndale. And so that set the stage uh, for the Reformation. Now, Erasmus said this interesting thing, and you'll hear some echoes of the quote that you heard on the, on the video. Erasmus said this in the, in the preface to the Greek New Testament. He said, I totally disagree with those who are unwilling that the Holy Scriptures translated into the common tongue should be read by the unlearned. I disagree with them. I think they ought to be read by the unlearned. Christ desires his mysteries to be published as widely as possible. I could wish that even all women should read the gospel in St. Paul's epistles. For us, that's a little striking, the word even. But back then, women generally were not scholars. They were not being trained in seminaries. Erasmus said, I wish everyone would read them. That's what he's saying. I I would that they were translated into all the languages of all Christian people, that they might be read and known not merely by the Scots and Irish, but even by Turks and Saracens. Those are Muslims. He wanted the word of God everywhere. This is Erasmus now. I wish that the farm worker might sing parts of them at the plow, that the weaver might hum them at the shuttle and that the traveler might beguile the weariness of the way by reciting them. Well, I think I think that Tyndale took all that seriously. And he said, I want the the plow boy at the plow to know more scripture than you apparently do. And that's what he was getting at. He wanted to get the word of God into the hands of the people. See, for me, my desire is you already have the word of God. I want you to treasure it. I want you to value it. I want you to read it. I want you to memorize it. I want you to obey it and live it, believe it. But uh, it's so easy for us to take it for granted. We don't realize that a man like Tyndale literally died so that we could have this ability to just pick up the Bible and read it and understand it. And so it's a gift of God. that and it's an embarrassment of riches. When I was a missionary in Japan, there were two translations from the Greek and Hebrew into the Japanese language. One of them was 150 years old. That was the Protestant version. The newer one was the Catholic version. We use the Catholic version. I couldn't tell the difference uh, because I didn't know Japanese that well. All right. How many major English translations of the Bible are there? I mean, think of it. Some of you may use the KJV still. That's Tyndale's work in the New Testament at least. Some of you may use the New American Standard Bible. Some of you, the ESV, some the RSV, some the NIV. And then there are others besides. What an embarrassment of riches. And about every five or 10 years, there's another major new English translation that's going to set the world on its ear. Well, the fact of the matter is the other ones are still good. You can just lay them out side by side and you really pretty much can get at it at that point. If you've got all of those translations, you really almost don't need to know Greek and Hebrew. So good is the scholarship on these. What an embarrassment of riches we have now. But it started with Tyndale. And his desire is that the plowboy at the plow should have the scripture. That the housewife while washing the dishes should be able to recite the scriptures and know the truth of the Bible. That was his life work. Now, of course, Luther came along after Erasmus and started the Reformation started the protestant reformation those uh, reformation teachings justification by faith in christ alone there's the center of the of the the whole question of the reformation how an individual sinner is made right with the holy god catholic church had one answer the bible had another quite frankly let's get right to it um, the sacramental system and all that was wrong it was uh, it was not taught in the bible and luther and zwingli and calvin And Tyndale and others came to see that the Catholic Church was not teaching the right way of salvation. There needed to be a Reformation. Now, closer to home for Tyndale, King Henry VIII. Where was he on the Reformation? What an interesting man. What an amazing man. Frankly, he was Catholic through and through, except for one issue, and that was his family problems. Other than that, he would have stayed Catholic. He was a loyal son of the Catholic Church. He wrote a treatise defending the uh, seven sacraments, assertion of the seven sacraments he wrote against Luther. And for this, Pope Leo X gave him the title Defender of the Faith. Uh, his cozy relationship with Rome didn't last, though, when he started to realize that his wife Catherine of Aragon was not going to give him a male heir. It had a big, big problem. He gave him a daughter, Mary, came to be known Bloody Mary later on, but uh, not a male heir. And so there's big problems. And so he wanted a divorce, and the Pope wouldn't grant it or annulment. So he could marry uh, another woman, Anne Boleyn, and hopefully have a son by her. Uh, And so what he decided to do was start his own church. All right? He broke off from Rome and started the Church of England. Uh, They're all gone, Jack. I'm sorry. Started, huh? Oh, you made more. All right. Does anybody need one if if you're out? Um, Okay. Go ahead and raise your hand if you need one and, and maybe we can get them to you. Okay. Good. Thank you, Jack, for doing that. So he broke off and started his own church. It was right around the time that Luther was really getting going in his, in his, uh, his debating and his working uh, in the German Reformation early, early 1520s that Tyndale started doing his translating work. Now, Henry, King Henry, was vigorously opposed to getting the Bible into the hands of the, of the lay people. And why? It was a great loss of power, a great loss of control. They wanted to control the religious sensibilities of the people wanted to control them. And so it was illegal to translate the Bible into English and to publish it. And so thus, results in uh, Tyndale's exciting life, way too exciting life. He's constantly running, constantly fleeing uh, for his life so that he can keep doing his translating work. Uh, And why? Because Henry VIII and those that were around him were against his getting of the Bible into into their hands. Now let's talk about Tyndale's early life and conversion. First of all, he was a super genius. I mean, it really is quite remarkable. His linguistic ability is amazing. Scott already said he had uh, learned eight languages. Now, it's one thing to learn eight languages. If you look on page four, uh, one of Tyndale's associates uh, commented that Tyndale was so skilled in eight languages, not just that he knew them, he was so skilled in eight languages, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Spanish, French, English, Italian, and German, that whichever he speaks, you might think it to be his native tongue. It was quite remarkable. And I think that enabled him to keep running and hiding because he could just blend into the populace and could speak the native language very easily, like he'd lived there all his life. But even more for him, it enabled him to translate beautifully. He had an incredible gift of language. And, and that's why I think the King James still is used today. There's just a beauty, a balance, a cadence. Uh, it, it had an incredible impact on the way that people speak English, just as uh, Luther's did on the way that people speak German. So he had a gift of language. As a matter of fact, this is really quite pronounced in that when he fled uh, to the continent to do his translating work in 1523-24, he actually didn't know much Hebrew at all. Very few people in England spoke Hebrew, very few. He mastered it in those five years while he was translating the New Testament. Well, he was doing all his translating work. He was also learning Hebrew so that by 1530, he could begin translating Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy uh, from the Hebrew right into the English. An incredible scholar. And realize he didn't have Bible work six like I do, where you can click on something. and It'll tell you immediately what the word is. He's got the Hebrew Bible and that's it. Maybe he's got a Hebrew dictionary and he did at the end of his life. He's got, that's it and in that he's got to translate and do a good job with it and what a remarkable scholar he was now while he was uh he was a child he w- he was raised uh and trained to be a scholar and at age 17 he got his bachelor's degree uh from Oxford i believe um and then uh 4 years later at age 21 his master's degree from Cambridge and so an incredible scholar he was trained by some of the best uh available scholars uh of his day he knew uh greek Uh, at a, at a very, a very high level. Uh, how did he become saved? How did he become, uh, how did he fall in love with the Protestant gospel and believe it? Well, it wasn't really by Luther and it certainly wasn't by Erasmus. It was by reading the scriptures, just like it was for Luther. It was when Luther was reading. Uh, Romans, when Luther was reading the Psalms, when he was reading the scriptures, that he was converted to, to faith in Christ, that he realized that the Catholic church wasn't right. It was just in reading the scriptures. Well, that's the way it was also for Zwingli, for the Anabaptists. Uh, that's the way it was for Calvin. And that's the way it was uh, also for Tyndale. We shouldn't think that it was because he got hold of Luther's works or the 95 theses that he then became a Protestant. It was because he was reading the same Bible they were. It wasn't long after that that he started to have conflicts with people over the Reformation. In 1520, he became a tutor in the family of John Walsh in Gloucestershire. He openly espoused Reformation doctrine and was bold in his debating statements and dinner table disputes, which you saw. All right, How would you like to sit at table there? It seemed like they weren't getting along well. I don't know if that was beginning, middle, or end of the meal. That'll lead to indigestion, you know, as they get up and threaten hell before they walk off. It's really kind of a tough way to end the evening. But uh, at any rate, he was very bold also in his preaching. It wasn't long before he was brought up on charges of heresy. Uh, there wasn't enough evidence to convict him, but the die was cast. Uh, he knew that he was not going to be able to stay in England for very long. Page five. Um, Tyndale, uh, soon after that, after leaving uh, his host's, home, he was staying with him, he realized he was just gonna get his host into trouble. So he went to London and he was hoping to get a bishop's license to translate the Bible in English. He still didn't know for sure whether King Henry VIII would accept it or reject it. And so he sought to get an official license from the bishop, uh, uh, Cuthbert Tonstall, uh, who was supposedly in favor of the new learning, supposedly well spoken of by Erasmus. Perhaps he was gonna be open. Uh, It's amazing how wrong we can be about people. But he went to him and asked if he could have a license uh, uh, to translate the Bible. And not only that, but that he would be able to stay in his house and that he would be funded for his scholarly work. Realize a lot of these scholars like Erasmus and others uh, during the Reformation time, 16th century, uh, they had a hard time making a living. They had a hard time with patronage. Erasmus was always you know struggling, and, and that was part of his problem, I think, was that he was vacillating from one to the other because he didn't want to offend whoever was paying his paycheck and so it was very difficult for him because uh, if you had no patron, you were almost well like an out-of-work artist or a or, uh, musician or something, you couldn 't get a gig, etc. There's no real way for him to support himself, and so he was asking this bishop in London. Uh, Cuthbert Tunstall to support him financially well Tunstall said he didn 't have um, any work for him and he should just find employment somewhere else in London but it wouldn 't be long before this man would be one of his bitterest enemies. It was T- Tunstall that burned most of the first edition of uh, Tyndale 's New Testament and by the way there are eighteen thousand of those printed there are two that still exist today one sold recently for several million pounds in England Can you imagine having one of the original New Testaments from Tyndale, one of the original Bibles, and it's available in the British Museum. But uh, most of them were burned by this very same man. Well, he went and stayed with this man, Sir Humphrey Monmouth, who took him in and and cared for him, put him up, uh, financially paid for him, etc. Again, I'm reminded of Matthew 10. Uh, Whenever you go, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, into a town or village, search for some worthy house and stay there until you leave. And that man will get whatever award there is to get Uh, If if a righteous man, you get a righteous man's reward. An uh, apostle, you get an apostle's reward. In this case, uh, if you put up a Bible translator, you get a Bible translator's reward. And frankly, this man, Sir Humphrey Monmouth, suffered and was persecuted somewhat for putting uh, Tyndale up. Well, it wasn't long before he realized that he was bringing danger to that household as well. And the time had come, Henry VIII was clearly against his translating work and he had to flee to the continent. And so he did. Uh, He ended up in uh, Wittenberg. Uh, goes to Germany, uh, went over to uh, Wittenberg. It was a dangerous time, by the way, as you know. If you have a disagreement with those that are in religious authority, you'll probably pay for it with your life. I mean, realize we live in a free country where you can have disagreements. There's no uh, the, the anti-establishment clause. The government's not going to establish a religion here. And there's a reason for that. Behind that is a history of bloodshed, a history of persecution, government-induced persecution on religion. A thousand people had been martyred from the uh, mid-15th century through the mid-16th century, uh, martyred for Christ. So it was very dangerous, and he had to flee for his life. May of 1524, it was time to flee, and aided financially by this man Monmouth and others, Tyndale escaped to the continent. He goes to Wittenberg. Luther helped him a little bit, uh, got him set up, and began to help him with his project, and Tyndale started doing uh, or dug in 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 earnest and was translated in the New Testament. Now, let me just try to give you a, a sense of what that would be like. You're sitting there looking at uh, a verse for example it talks about Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith well the Greek word uh, author is archegos, uh, perfecter is teleotes and he's looking at these Greek words and he's thinking of different ways he could bring it about uh, you're running through synonyms you're running through different ways the Greek word is used you're looking at the context he, th- he looks at Teleotes, for example, finisher of our faith. Well, that would imply that our faith, it, it has an ending point. And so that's not, that's not right. So, you know, you would, you would move over more toward the word perfecter of our faith. You see, it's just an amazing work. And to have to go word by word, phrase by phrase, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, book by book, book that's what he did. Day after day after day, day and night, laboring to translate and get into Felicitous English so that people would be able to read it and understand it and be drawn in by it. What was his goal? Salvation. Salvation was his goal for for the people that would read the scriptures. Remember what it says in 2 Timothy 3.15, that the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That was his desire, that the gospel would get into the hands of the people. And so there he is wrestling with Greek, wrestling with the Hebrew and trying to get it across in good English. That's what he was doing. Well, there was opposition. Uh, He finished his New Testament. He printed his New Testament. He was just about to uh, send it to England when he was discovered and uh, escaped with his life with only a few copies. The rest of them were confiscated and burned. He fled to worms. He had to start over in his translating work. It's amazing. This happened also with Adoniram Judson. In Burma, where the the Bible was burned and he had to start over. And again, you don't have floppies, backup discs, jump drives, whatever it is. You're starting from scratch. And uh, the perseverance is really quite amazing here. But he kept going. In 1526, he finished his New Testament in Worms. It's the first printing of the New Testament of the Bible in, in English. From the biblical Greek, he smuggled copies of the New Testament and are soon, uh, they're smuggled throughout England. One of the things that shows in this video is uh, barrels being unloaded from the continent from a ship. They have false bottoms. And so there's who knows what, fish or different other things on the top. And then uh, below the false bottom are five or six of these New Testaments. And that's how it was. They're smuggled into England. Well, it wasn't long before this bishop that I mentioned earlier, Bishop Tunstall, realized these things are getting disseminated through England. He's got to put a stop to it. And so, as I mentioned before, Catholic authorities and Christian authorities are some of the number one Bible burners in history. This guy, what he did was he bought up all the copies of Tyndale's New Testament that he could find and burned them. But in buying them, rather than just confiscating them, he funded the second edition. The money got back to Tyndale and he was able to print the second edition. Another one of those great ironies. You know, you really can't fight against God. I mean, God, uh, is able in Psalm 2 to mock those who fight against Christ and against, against the Lord and against his Christ. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and then he scoffs. And, uh, so go ahead and buy him up and we'll use the money to, uh, to publish the second edition. Well, these things are getting disseminated really pretty much, uh, throughout England. Uh, and, and behind this, do you not see the hand of God? He wanted the people to have the scriptures. He wanted the people to, to be able to read the Bible for themselves. For all men are like flesh, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. This is the gospel, and so it is God. It's not so much Tyndale. Tyndale's a great man, but let's glorify and honor God who raised him up, glorify and honor God who gave him his skill and his ability, who gave him his courage, who filled him with the spirit, who gave him insight into verse after verse of the Bible so that You know, all these many hundreds of years later, people are still reading it and getting benefit from it. It was God that wanted the English people to have the Bible to be able to read them. And so uh, it got disseminated uh, throughout that. There was opposition. I'm not going to go through all that on page six, but uh, uh, he had debates with Sir Thomas More, for example. But uh, in uh, 1529, he stopped his debate. He was writing. And back then, a lot of times debates are going on. Somebody writes a book, then somebody writes a response to the book, and then they write a response to the response. So they're debating. Well, all that takes time. There's only so much time. He hadn't translated the Old Testament yet, for example. And so he said, forget it. I'm not going to debate Thomas More anymore. He didn't write a final response to to, uh, Thomas More's response to his book. He just stopped. And he focused in on that, uh, you could call it, magnificent obsession or passion of his, and that is to get the whole Bible. That was his desire, the whole Bible uh, into the English language. So he's learning Hebrew, and then he starts in 1530 uh, to translate Uh, Genesis into Hebrew. He gets through the first five books and actually ends up translating 10 books of the Old Testament into English. Uh, He has notes on the rest of the books of the Bible which enable Miles Coverdale uh, to finish the Old Testament and do the Coverdale Bible, which is the first complete Bible in uh, the English language. But Coverdale was really a a co-worker with Tyndale and used Tyndale's work. In 1531, uh, Tyndale met agents of Henry VIII who offered him a post in England. But Tyndale wisely declined. Can you imagine taking a post with Henry VIII? If you know anything about Henry VIII, if you're one of his right-hand men, you're not long for this world. It's probably going to be within a year and you're going to get arrested and executed for treason. Now, that's kind of the way. It's even worse to be his wife. You know, Two of them were executed. Um, one of them survived him of the six. Uh, but at any rate, he wisely declined um, and uh, continued to focus on his work. Now let's look on page seven at some of Tyndale's own words. All right? Tyndale was a genius with language. He said, the Old Testament is a book, page seven, wherein is written the law of God and the deeds of them which fulfill them and also of them which fulfill them not. The Old Testament is a book of laws and you get a record of what happens to people who obey God's laws and those that don't. One sentence. The New Testament is a book wherein are contained the promises of God and the deeds of them which believe them or believe them not. That's his summary of what the New Testament is. The Evangelion, that which we call the gospel, is a Greek word and signifieth good, merry, glad, and joyful tidings that maketh a man's heart glad and maketh him sing, dance, and leap for joy as when David had killed Goliath the giant came glad tidings unto the Jews that their fearful and cruel enemy was slain and that they were delivered out of all danger for gladness whereof they sung, danced, and were were joyful in like manner is the Evangelion of God which we call the gospel and the new testament joyful tidings and as some say a good hearing published by the apostles throughout all the world of christ the right david how that he hath fought with sin with death and the devil and hath overcome them whereby all men that were in bondage to sin wounded with death overcome of the devil are without their own merits or deservings loosed justified restored to life and saved brought to liberty and reconciled unto the favor of god and set at one with him again which tidings as many believe, laud, praise, and thank God, are glad, sing, and dance for joy. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, just a gift for language, just like similar to Bunyan, uh, an ability to just put, put all that together. Uh, the image of David fighting Goliath and then Jesus, the, the greater David, fighting the, the greater Goliath of, of the devil and sin and death. Uh, that's Tyndale in his own words. Or how about his preface to the translation of Romans, bottom of page seven, it's talking about Romans. For as much as this apostle is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament and the most pure evangelion, that is to say glad tidings and that we call gospel and also is a light and a way into the whole scripture. I think it meet or suitable that every Christian man not only know it by rote and without the book. What does that mean? Memorize it. That's right. I urge you to memorize Romans. Go ahead. I mean, you could use the King James Version and know that you're memorizing Tyndale. If you'd like to, Uh, or you can do one of the more modern translations, but it's just incredible. They should know it by rote and without the book, but also exercise himself therein evermore, continually as with the daily bread of the soul. No man verily can read it too oft or study it too well or preach too many sermons on it. Now listen well, okay. Can't be done. Just trying to encourage you. All right. Or study it too well. For the more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is. And the more groundly it is searched, the preciouser things are found in it. So great treasure of spiritual things lieth hid therein. I will therefore bestow my labor and diligence through this little preface or prologue to prepare a way thereunto so far forth as God gives me grace, that it may be the better understood of every man. For it hath been hitherto evil darkened with glosses and wonderful dreams of sophisters, that no man could spy out the intent and meaning of it. It's all covered over, kind of like a painting that's got all the soot in it and some expert um, uh, craftsman can uncover uh, whether the, the Last Supper, the Sistine Chapel, whatever, and get it looking vivid again. That's what he wants to do in his preface. That no man could spy out the intent and meaning of it, which nevertheless of itself is a bright light and sufficient to give light unto all the scripture. Talking about the book of Romans. He says, my desire as a teacher of the word is to make it clear, to scrape away all the accretions that are on top of it that that forbid you from truly understanding it. Again, his gift of language. Uh, On faith and works, he says, faith is a lively thing, uh, mighty and working, valiant and strong, ever doing, ever fruitful, so that it is impossible that he who is endued therewith should not work always good works without ceasing. In other words, faith is so lively and active, you're going to be working good work. So he's wrestling with the question of the relationship between faith and works. Now, at the bottom of page eight is a letter that Tyndale wrote. One of the last he wrote, a letter from prison. And I think it's so, it's so poignant to see the way he thinks. What are his priorities? And what was the nature of his suffering as he was waiting in prison? Uh, he was sent uh, to prison for translating the Bible in English, a crime punishable by death, while in a freezing prison cell in Villevoorde in the Netherlands, wrote to the official making some request to ease his suffering. This is what he wrote. I believe, right worshipful, that you are not ignorant of what has been determined concerning me. Therefore, I entreat your lordship and that by the Lord Jesus, that if I am to remain here during the winter, you will request the procurer to be kind enough to send me from my goods By the way, he's not asking for anything. He's just asking for his own stuff. That he would send me from my goods, which he has in his possession, a warmer cap, for I suffer extremely from cold in the head, which is considerably increased in the cell. A warmer coat also, for that which I have is very thin. Also a piece of cloth to patch my leggings. My overcoat has been worn out. My shirts are also worn out. He has a woolen shirt of mine. He has a woolen shirt of mine. If he will be kind enough to send it, I also have with him leggings of thicker cloth for the putting on above. He also has warmer caps for wearing at night. I wish also his permission to have a candle in the evening for it is wearisome to sit alone in the dark. Now listen. But above all, I entreat and beseech your clemency to be urgent with the procurer that he may kindly permit me to have my Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary that I may spend my time with that study. Now what's most amazing about this whole thing are the the words above all. In other words, if you can only send me one of the two, either the clothes and all the warm stuff, or my Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary, please send the latter so I can keep doing my work. You see, I've only translated 10 books of the Old Testament. I'd really like to finish my work. Even if I'm shivering all day and all night, I want to finish that work. Do you see his heart? Do you see his passion? Reminds me some of the Apostle Paul who, writing from prison to Timothy, his dear friend, says in 2 Timothy 4.13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Do you see the similarity? I'm a little cold, so bring the cloak and bring me me the book so I can keep doing my work. That's the way it was with him. Now, how did Tyndale die? Well, he's betrayed by somebody who pretended to be his friend but was really an agent of the king, Henry Phillips. Uh, He was cast into the prison, as we mentioned. That same year, Miles Coverdale, relying heavily on Tyndale's earlier drafts, finished the rest of the Old Testament. Meanwhile, Tyndale faced his own death for crimes against the church. And what were these crimes? Well, first, he maintains that faith alone justifies. That's a crime. (laughs) Second, he maintains that to believe in the forgiveness of sins and to embrace the mercy offered in the gospel is enough for salvation. Thirdly, he avers that human traditions cannot bind the conscience except where their neglect might occasion scandal. Does that sound like Romans 14 should? Number 3 or number 4, he denies the freedom of the will. Number 5, he denies that there is any purgatory. Number 6, he affirms that neither the virgin nor the saints pray for us in their own person. And 7th, he asserts that neither the virgin nor the saints should be invoked by us. Would you be arrested on any of those counts? Do you hold any of those things? These were his crimes. He suffered greatly in prison, as we mentioned, endured multiple questionings, sometimes in the middle of the night without renouncing his faith. And then finally, he was burned at the stake. I'm not going to read this lengthy account because we're almost out of time. But uh, he was brought to the stake. And right before he went to the stake, uh, he was thinking about about the king in particular. And his final words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Very famous final words, among the most famous in uh, church history. And then he was strangled. So he was put to death mercifully and then burned uh, after he was dead. So uh, his final thought was the Reformation in England. Uh, Many people have come along to see did Tyndale's prayer get answered? Did uh, Henry VIII's eyes, were they ever opened? Could it have been answered uh, later with the king being Edward who followed Henry VIII? Who knows? I don't really know and I don't think it's us to know what God did with Tyndale's prayer. What I will say this is it shows Tyndale's heart. His heart was one of mercy and compassion even to the one who was putting him to death. What, were his, what is, what is uh, Tyndale's influence? Well, greatly as a translator. I mean, there are phrases in common everyday speech that come from the King James Bible through Tyndale's translation originally that people use all the time. Phrases like holier than thou, for example, uh, that was first in Tyndale. It's not in this list here, but eat, drink and be merry. That's Tyndale. Let there be light. Does that sound familiar? And we say, that's not Tyndale. That's God. That's the scripture. Well, true. But uh, it, it was Tyndale who had to bring it into English. And if you look at different translations, you realize and even see some of the other translations in English that were around that time. And you see uh, just what a gift of language he had. The powers that be. Have you ever heard that expression? That's from Romans uh, 13. A prophet has no honor in his own country. O ye of little faith, uh, fight the good fight. Am I my brother's keeper? These are all phrases coming from him. Um Scott, why don't you come up and say a few things about his life and get us into some discussion.
0: Thank you for listening to this resource from TwoJourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at TwoJourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification,